The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom, so we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link alongside lead prospect writer James Anderson. Shout out to New Day, N E U D A E, for the song Lion Kings, track we're using as our intro this season, at New Day Music on Twitter. James, we are on to the AL East as we continue to go division by division, pinpointing the top prospects you need to know. 89 prospects that you need to know in the AL East. We'll get to many of them. Now, in this division, the Yankees have really kind of separated 
as the clear number one system in this division. Do you think the Red Sox uh, are number two? I'd take the Rays over the Red Sox. I know the Red Sox have a couple heavy hitters at the top there, but the Rays to me have, you know, the Yankees, like I said to one of the commenters, like I could have gone another 10 or 15 deep on the Yankees and, and justified it. I could have probably gone another five or six deep on the Rays, gotten almost a 30 and justified it. They just have, you know, they, they only really have the two real heavy hitters at the top and Willie Adamas and Brent Honeywell, but they have so many guys in that system with just a ton of upside and a ton of risk that you kind of got to bank on like one or two of those guys panning out and maybe becoming a star. Nice. Well, let's start with the Orioles who you had have written up first in this article. Littlewire.com slash podcast for free 10-day trial to check it out. If you don't have a subscription, Chance Cisco, the number one player in this organization, 51 on the overall top 400, going to be a 22-year-old heading to AAA to begin the season. You say here that you know, now it seems like he will indeed stick behind the plate. What's changed in that regard? You know, I think I think it's he's just kept working at it. It's still not going to be an, uh, an above-average defensive catcher when it's all said and done, I don't think. But, you know, he's good enough back there now that I, I don't see them moving him just based on the bat. And uh, kind of made this, this comparison when I wrote up his outlook, but I, I think you could be looking at a guy who – gives you kind of Jonathan Lucroy type of offensive value. And like, that's not all that appealing at any other position, but it's enough to make Lucroy a no doubt top three catcher for fantasy. Mm-hmm. And Cisco has the same sort of tools where you can expect, you know, 280, 285 average, uh, 12 to 15 home runs, probably going to get on base enough to hit, you know, top five, top six in a lineup. So that alone is enough to be a, a pretty intriguing fantasy catcher. So, yeah, I mean, that's, the bat is certainly interesting. Of course, sticking behind the plate is so big for fantasy value for these type of players. How does Cisco's chances, how do they stack up with some of those other top catching prospects? Francisco Mejia, Zach Collins, uh, Alfredo, or Jorge Alfredo, Tom Murphy, those kind of guys in terms of chances to stick long-term behind the plate. Of all those guys you listed, Collins probably has the worst shot but I'd say they all have a better than 50% shot. I mean, none of them are like high end defensive catchers. (laughs) Like even a guy like Francisco Mejia, while he's got a a really good arm, he's got a lot of work to do in terms of being a good framer. So, you know, you're not teams aren't buying these guys necessarily because of their defensive chops. I mean, they're all kind of bat first guys in the end. You know, a guy like Carson Kelly with the Cardinals is probably the, the best combination of, of offense and defense in the minors, but the bat's a little light compared to the rest of those guys. So uh, I think you got to treat those, the guys you mentioned as guys that are going to stick uh, just because I think it is a better than 50% chance. They're not kind of in the Jacob Nottingham camp where we're already kind of ruling it out. Interesting. Joe Marais, number two, 130 overall in the top 400. Interesting player, a guy I drafted in SKL two auction reserve rounds last year. Ended up trading. Intriguing power, but really got off to a rough start. Still very young, going to be twenty on opening day. Do you see him working it out, or is this just something where it's going to be a or working out in the near future? Or is it going to be a slow grind to correct these holes for him? Just for dynasty league purposes, I think that you have to sort of treat this year as a 
kind of make or break year whether or not you you continue to hold him in sort of standard 150 to 200 prospect leagues he's he was the youngest player in the Carolina league last year so I think it's pretty easy to explain away the struggles and it's not like it came it's not like his lack of production was rooted in some like 35 percent strikeout rate or, or something that where you're just like whoa man I don't, I don't think he's ever gonna make enough contact I mean he only struck out 20 percent of the time so uh, you factor that in with a 70 grade raw power and you kind of gotta give him a second chance you gotta give him a mulligan given how young he is but if he if he really struggles to to make consistent hard contact again I think that that's part of the that, that was his big problem is he was he was just making a lot of uh, weak contact, swinging at pitchers' pitches, and uh, he really needs to get a little bit more selective this year. Trey Mancini, number three, and with a player like this who's so limited defensively, he's going to need to really hit. I thought maybe there was a chance for him, and there there might be a path to major league at bats this season. But with Mark Trumbo resigning, probably headed back to the the uh, minors, probably Triple A Norfolk to begin the season. Twenty five now. Have we? Kind of reached a point where Mancini is who he is, and the the ceiling's pretty well capped. Yeah, I mean the the part about him being right handed hurts too because you just it's hard to see a scenario where he gets an everyday role, especially on this Orioles team, given given their internal options at those uh, one one first base DH positions. So you know maybe he carves out a role for them as a guy that just gets starts against lefties. Uh, Maybe he moves organizations in a, in a couple of years, but you know I, I ranked him in the top 150 just because he is big league ready and he he can definitely hit. It's just is he going to hit enough to to get everyday at bats? Austin Hayes just outside of the top 200 at 203, 21 years old on opening day, outfielder. This is not a player I know a lot about. You say impressive physical specimen, average or better tools really across the board. What's he going to have to do to? take the next step as he progresses from the low minors he just has to prove that he can hit spin at at a you know double a triple a i mean he's got all the physical tools he can he can run he can hit for power uh he can play all three outfield spots he's just going to have to prove that he can handle upper level breaking balls this system really kind of dries off after mancini though so you don't really have to worry about these guys unless you're in a really deep league yeah ryan mountcastle's a guy who's Somewhat interesting. He was what a, a supplemental first rounder uh, in twenty fifteen. Big guy. I mean, six foot three, one ninety five. Who knows if he's a shortstop long term? But uh, I mean, we should we should. I mean, he he's he's going to move to left field probably. We should move so? on because there's a ton of guys in the Yankee system we yeah. have to talk about. No need to dwell on this system. Really, not at all. Now Boston, we'll get get to them before we get to New York and Andrew Benintendi. You have number two. I know. It's kind of he's kind of one two on any list you'll see, and of course primed for a big major league role this season. Really safe floor. Love the guy. Anything new that you want to throw out there with Benintendi? I just think his his ceiling is getting underestimated by pretty much everyone in the fantasy community. I see a lot of, you know, Pakota came out and and the number one cop for him was Mookie Betts. That's a comparison I've sort of made in my head. Uh, for a while with him in terms of how people are underrating the ceiling with him he has plus raw power he's an above average runner could be a 2020 guy could hit second in that order and that's going to be a ton of counting stats so the the idea of him just being this safe guy who doesn't have upside I think is completely missing the boat 
Now, when we had Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com on the Saturday XM show, I asked him, you know, guys who among the guys who you are projecting, you know, safely for a 2018 debut, anybody you think could maybe force their way up, surprise some people this season late in the year. And he said Rafael Devers, who you have two in the system, number seven overall, really likes Devers, thinks he could rise fast, likely headed to double A to begin the season. But third base is a hole for Boston. What do you think? Do you think there's a chance there? Yeah, I think that you just look at you know what you t- what you touched on. If Pablo Sandoval is not performing up to expectations, they have guys they've brought in like you know they they I think they brought in Mike Olt the other day on a minor league deal. They uh, signed or they they drafted Josh Rutledge in the Rule Five draft. I mean, those are moves that kind of suggest that they're they're not sure what they have in Pablo Sandoval. Obviously, Olt and Rutledge aren't going to be the answer on a team that has uh, World Series aspirations. So, you know, Devers has been kind of a, a one year at a t- or one level at a per year type of guy. He just had the power hasn't really started to show up yet. I think it it could this year though. If if you look up in like May, late May, and he's you know on pace to set career bests in terms of his slash line in full season leagues, then I think you could start to to see a guy who gets a quick promotion to AAA to see if he can handle it. I think they saw what happened with Moncada last year where they were a little too aggressive on, on pushing him. I think they'll they'll allow Devers to, to force the issue, but he doesn't have the same sort of contact issues that Moncada had last year, so I think it's, it's definitely possible we see him up in late July or, or August. Yeah, and you know we always talk about the raw power. It hasn't really translated a ton with Devers yet, but in his prime, are we talking you know thirty homer guy, at least. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's a he's a middle of the order bat in waiting. Jason Groom, twelfth overall pick in, in June's draft, eighteen years old. I mean, long ways away, and you know with Dave Dombrowski there, you never know he could end up in another organization. But what's the ceiling with Jason Groom? I mean, he's got an ace ceiling. He's one of the few guys in the minors that has the ceiling to be an ace those big lefties with the plus plus heater plus plus curveball really intriguing package and you know i ranked him 53 overall and he has barely pitched professionally so that kind of tells you about the ceiling there obviously a ton of risk but after the top six hitters for dynasty leagues uh you know ray kyle lewis uh, Blake Rutherford, Mickey Moniak, uh, Nick Senzel, and Kevin Maiton. After those six guys go off the board in your Dynasty League drafts, I think it's fair to just roll the dice on Groom. Now we think about third base being a, a hole in Boston. First base is one they you know have tried to plug. I mean, Hanley was Hanley, and he'll probably be DHing more this season. They brought in <coughs> Mitch Moreland. Is Sam Travis fourth in the system, 107 overall? Is he kind of the next guy in waiting maybe not the long-term answer to the position but maybe 2018 2019 2020 he has a, a regular role he could come up this year and start occupying the short side of that platoon at first base with Mitch Moreland because he does have you know 30 40 games under his belt at triple a if he's doesn't really have much to prove there and they're they're lacking for you know a true platoon partner for Moreland and they want to keep Hanley at dh that makes some sense to bring him up. The bat's a little light for first base. Uh, doesn't have plus power. Uh, 
you know, some people put a plus on the, the hit tool in Boston in that lineup, even without the plus power, you could see kind of Brandon Belt type of numbers out of, out of Travis. So there's a chance he becomes uh, viable in all formats in the next couple of years here, but it, it might just be a little too light for first base on a team like the Red Sox. Final Red Sox prospect inside your top 200 overall. Again, you've expanded to 400 on the site, but uh, we'll just touch on one more that's inside the top 200 before we move on to the Yankees. Bobby Dahlbeck. Now, this guy hit 386 last season at low A, but as you point out in your article, aided by a 473 BABIP. What's the true hit grade on this guy? Uh, we don't really know yet. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't even faced full season pitching yet, and he was a, a college bat. And you know, some people, people that really like him, think he could have a, an above average hit tool. And at that point, it, it allows his you know sixty five, seventy grade raw power to play. Uh, but you know, he, I'd like to see him do it in a full season league. I'd like to see him do it without that that crazy BABIP before putting him up with guys like Lucas Erseg from that draft class. But there are there are people out there that really like Dahlbeck, and and he's going to get pushed up some draft boards this year. So if you really like him, you're, you're going to have to get a little aggressive. Yeah, I just want to say, and you did correct me, um, I was looking, I said, saw L-O-W. For some reason, I thought that was low A, but that is short season lull. So yeah, Dahlbeck, a guy to watch as he makes his full season debut this season. We will move on to the Yankees. Clint Frazier, number 10 overall, number one in the system. I know Glaber Torres ahead of Frazier on a lot of lists, but you think Frazier, in terms of fantasy, has the edge? Yeah, I just think counting stats, you're going to get more from Frazier in both power and speed, at least early on. Uh, the speed probably goes away in four or five years, but I think you could be a 30-15 guy. You know, I, I think kind of a comp I, I like a little bit in terms of what Frazier's fantasy ceiling is, is sort of the George Springer we're getting right now, not the George Springer we sort of thought we were getting, like the, the 2020 guy or the 3030 guy, but uh, where the power is, you know, potential for 30 plus homers every year and potential for 12, 15 steals every year. And then the batting average probably settles in kind of in that 265, 270, 275 range. I think that's sort of the ceiling for Frazier. And to me, that's more valuable than what Torres is going to provide with the bat. Yeah, I mean, I think Torres, I mean, we saw him front and center in Arizona. We were right kind of on field level, and the guy is impressive, certainly very mature for his age at 20. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the influx of talent, emerging talent at shortstop, and that's got to hurt Torres a little bit because it's so hard to come in and be, you know, a top 8 to 10 shortstop anymore. Yeah, and he – he doesn't have the type of offensive tools that some of the, you know, your Carlos Correa's, even, even a guy like Francisco Lindor, I think you'd have to be really aggressive to, to say that Torres is going to be, be able to do that. I think people are maybe getting a little too excited about the, the power potential with him. To me, he's more of like a guy that might be uh, you know, 15, 15 initially maybe grows into a 2010 guy, but uh, still asking an awful lot from him. I mean, I think he's a great fantasy prospect. I just I don't see a guy who's going to be pushing to go in the top three rounds of drafts. Number three in the system, Blake Rutherford. 
number 32 overall in the top 400, and he was a guy who was taken 18th overall. And you actually asked Jim Callis a question. I forget the exact question. Maybe you can clarify. But he answered with Rutherford. Like who, I asked him who would go higher uh, if, if the draft was, yeah. was done today. And that was a really good answer because even at the time of the draft, it seemed like Rutherford should have gone higher. Callis was spot on in terms of why he didn't go higher. Teams are just scared about high school players who are 19. And, you know, it's – it's just not a fair criticism when you look at the tools, but then you like ding him because of the age when the tools say he should be a top five or six pick. Uh, you know, Rutherford, to me, there's a case for taking him over a guy like Corey Ray in Dynasty League drafts. I'd probably still take Ray just because of the proximity factor, but uh, Rutherford, probably a safer bet to be a full-time player whereas Ray there's the there's concern that he might have to sit against lefties uh, you know he's Rutherford's a potential five category guy he could move fairly quickly for for a high school guy because he is 19 um, gonna be interesting to kind of see what he does in his, his first exposure to full season pitching I'm really excited to see where these 2016 draftees go and staff keeper league two reserve rounds and uh, SKL three reserve rounds starting up this season uh, that'll be fun to do a from scratch keeper league. Some of these guys will f- go a lot later than they will in those longer term leagues, but I think Rutherford probably first round pick in, in most reserve rounds this season. Jorge Mateo, number four uh, in the system, forty nine overall, shortstop, not really an option with Glaber coming into the system, so probably second base or the outfield, but still enough speed here to be plenty relevant in, in dynasty keeper leagues. Uh, what else can he do offensively? Uh, we don't really know yet. I mean, this is a guy that I was pretty wrong about last year. I saw him being a guy that might finish the year as like a top five fantasy prospect, and he went the other way. He had his worst year as a hitter. He had some <clears throat> issues where he was insubordinate and got a, a team suspension. He's already kind of moved off short in terms of the Yankees ultimate uh goal for him i think center field second base still possibilities for mateo but uh maybe he ends up just being a super utility guy who gets you know late inning pinch hit uh opportunities because of that 80 grade speed it's just it's not clear what kind of hitter he is yet and he didn't answer those questions last year hopefully we we see uh you know after that year i mean that that wasn't like a Javier Guerra type of disaster but it was a a pretty bad year for Mateo all things considered and you want to see a player really rebound from a year like that and and put a ton of work in in the offseason to make sure that he has a productive 2017 if he doesn't then then you got to be pretty concerned because he has all the motivation in the world to to come in this year especially after they acquire a guy like Glaber Torres and basically say hey we don't we don't view you as our future shortstop anymore Guys should come in pretty motivated and and really hit the ground running. I'd like to see him hit for a high average, take take a few more walks, and really put that speed to work. When we saw James Caprillion in Arizona front and center, it looked really impressive. It was for a short stint, though, only a couple innings on the mound, but it looked really, really good. You noted here a, a velocity jump after he was drafted up to his ceiling. What are the secondary pitches looking like, and how are they coming along? He's... Man, he he really impressed people with his entire pitch mix in Arizona. Uh, 
really deceptive coming out of the hand. Like the the breaking ball and the changeup both look just like the fastball coming out, and that allows them both to to project as plus pitches. He'd be higher, like he he'd be ahead of Jorge Mateo on this list if there weren't concerns about the durability, because we just haven't seen him log a full season's worth of innings. But there's legit number two upside here. I mean, this is a guy that you can go out there and maybe try to target in trades right now because their owner might still have a little bit bit of concern about the health risk. And if he can stay healthy this year, this is a guy that could be one of the Yankees' top starters as as early as you know summer of next year. Yeah, missed some time. Uh, recently with a strained flexor muscle does have that kind of wacky arm delivery but I'm with you I mean seeing the stuff up close and personal I mean stuff is really really good I think worth a a gamble if you're looking for upside in in a keeper league trade Aaron Judge of course the guy we've been waiting on the debut was underwhelming I'd say I mean ton of ton of strikeouts did flash that power that I fell in love with a couple of years ago, but I've kind of I've since traded Judge where I had him, and just you know I I think he'll probably have a regular role at some point this season, but I just think with these these power guys who you know don't do much else, don't give you a whole lot else. Uh, we've seen power kind of marginalized on the free agent market recently. Uh, you have to do something else in today's game, and I'm just a little concerned about Judge long term. strikeout rate in his debut, as you note here. How long is it going to take this guy to to put it together, and what is it going to look like when he does reach his peak? Uh, he, I'm I'm pretty worried about him. I'm if this was just my personal board, like I'd have him lower than 68 overall. I I just I don't really believe that he's ever going to hit enough to be more than like a Chris Carter in right field type of guy. Uh, But he's still valued enough in the industry and he's close enough to the big leagues. Like he he might be the Yankees everyday right fielder this year that, that I put him at 68 just because, you know, realistically that's at least as, as high as he's being valued. I mean, he, he went in the third round of a, of a prospect draft I'm doing with some other guys in the industry. So, I mean, there there are still people that are high on him because of that 70 grade power. It's worth noting with a guy like judge, like the strikeout concerns are extremely relevant. He's six, seven. I mean, you always got to be concerned about a guy like that being able to make contact. And then big league pitchers completely exposed him last year. He's over a year older than a guy like Joey Gallo and he's taller, (laughs) uh, you know, you got to be concerned because yeah. just given the age, the swing and the miss, I mean, it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm betting against him, him making it as a, as an everyday player. Yeah. No, I will say, I said, you got to do something else. He does have a hell of an arm yeah. and he can draw with some walks, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just see, I just don't see him hitting for, for much average. He did hit, you know, 270 or above at pretty much every full season stop, but if you could, if you could trade Gallo for like Hunter Renfro right now, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that draft I was mentioning, I think Gallo or I think uh, Judge ended up going ahead of Renfro. So there are people that still like Judge more. Uh, I think Jim Callis even said on our our show on Saturday uh, that he would he prefers Judge to Renfro because of the home ballpark and the 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 lineup construction around him. Mm-hmm. I just have more faith in Renfro being able to make enough contact. And I think, you know, a right-handed hitter in Petco 
that's still I mean he's going to hit a ton of homers there so I I would try to make a move like that uh maybe even a guy like Gallo I mean maybe the Gallo's owners cooled on him enough that 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 he'd take the guaranteed playing time with Judge this year and and do a swap there I mean this is the time when you can unload Judge and still get something pretty quality in return yeah absolutely Justice Sheffield seventh in the system he came over with Clint Frazier in the Andrew Miller deal only 20 years old but inside the top 150 obvious bullpen risks as you point out here but uh, do you think the, the development continues and continues to go well and we see him in the big leagues maybe next season? I mean, we might see him in the big leagues this season. Like they, they might, if they're contending, Sheffield's arm out of the bullpen to me would be pretty dynamic, uh, especially against lefties. The thing about him is like I, I think he ends up a reliever, but he'll – he'll go on that kind of Luis Severino track where he starts as a starter and they don't, they don't designate him as a reliever until there just really is no other choice. So I think you're not going to see him move to that role for a few years. I don't know how much production you're going to get out of him as a starter. I just think that there are concerns about uh, hitters being able to square up that fastball given his, his lack of height, lack of playing on that pitch and he's got command issues too it's not like this is a guy where the only concern is his height I mean he he has the same type of command issues that would make me worried about him as a starter even if he was 6'5". Now Albert Abreu, Dylan Tate you have 8-9 in the system and only you know and right next to each other in the overall top 400 158, 159 and you say here you know kind of similar in that they're both have high upside but a ton of risk as well what's kind of the difference between these two guys? Uh, I think that the, probably the big difference is Abreu hasn't failed the way that Tate has. Like, I mean, people have recently seen Dylan Tate really, really struggle. Mm -hmm. Uh, the stuff backed up because of some mechanical changes the Rangers tried to implement and they basically kind of gave up on like that trade, uh, including a guy that you just recently took number four overall in 2015 in a, in a rental for a guy like Carlos Beltran. I mean, that's giving up on a pitching prospect. And that's basically saying like, Hey, we think this guy is basically a reliever and the Yankees are betting on their developmental staff with both of these guys, because they've had a lot of success recently. Uh, guys like chance Adams, guys like Jordan Montgomery, who are lower down this list where they've, they've turned these guys uh, who weren't really thought of as much into legitimate pitching prospects. They might be able to do the same with Abreu and Tate uh Abreu has kind of more defined stuff right now I mean all three of his pitches show plus potential it's it's a the command is the big issue with with Abreu it's it's below average command right now whereas Tate you you really you need that change up to to continue to develop uh for him to profile as a starter uh you know he's Tate's looked good since the trade uh, since the Yankees kind of ditched those mechanical adjustments the Rangers had him uh, using. So, I mean, I still think he's a worthwhile lottery ticket in deeper leagues. Both of these guys are, I just think it's, it's really risky. I mean, the, the safe money is on both of them being relievers. Dustin Fowler, number 10, he was a guy kind of getting some, some buzz in Arizona for a guy who was, you know, impressing some people down there. The numbers uh, at double a Trenton last year, not, you know, don't jump off the page by any means. Only twelve homers, uh, well, twenty five steals is good, but you know, low walk rate, 
makes pretty good contact though. But uh, is he going to do enough, really? You know, across the board to to stand out in, in the outfield, and maybe uh, is he a corner outfielder? No, I think he's. I think the glove is actually. This is a instance where it's actually a big fantasy plus that I think most people think he can play a, an above average uh, center field. So that that should help him stay in the lineup. And and I think you kind of project, uh, you know, maybe Frazier, Fowler, Judge as maybe the the Yankees' uh, future outfield configuration. If you're really high on all three guys, uh, once once guys like Gardner and, and Ellsbury are gone. Uh, Fowler is a really good hitter. He's one of those guys though, where the, you might hit like 290, 300 and have like a 320 OBP. So you, you probably project him to hit six or seventh or maybe even eighth in an order like the Yankees. Uh, but he will be allowed to run down there. So, you know, you might be looking at 20, 25 steals, uh, the power, maybe he hits 15 homers in, in new Yankee stadium. It's just, like you said, it's not all that exciting, but I think he does enough things well where there's a there's a decent chance he makes it as an everyday player. Number eleven in the system, another player inside their top one seventy. I mean, this system is just stacked. Estevan Florial. Now you say here, you know, if we're ranking just the most impressive tools, he may be number one on the list. Is he gonna hit enough for it to matter though? That's the question. Where do you land on that question? I mean, probably not. Like if if I thought he was gonna hit enough, I'd have him well inside the top one hundred. Mm-hmm. Like just from I mean he he the way he looks, he kind of reminds me of Alfan- Alfonso Soriano from the left side. Um, just crazy power, crazy speed. Uh, but yeah, like he probably isn't gonna hit enough for it to matter. But just based on that power and speed, I have him. I have him in the the top two hundred because. You know who knows? He's only nineteen. He he might be able to make it work. And this is a guy like like in SKL two for like a team like mine where my my farm system is really depleted. I might I might take this guy just as kind of like a total flyer. Like maybe mm-hmm. maybe he hits this year, maybe he finishes the year as a top fifty prospect. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Man, this is how you do a rebuild, and it's crazy that the Yankees have been rebuilding for what like seven eight months <laughs> like they were competing up until pretty much the deadline last year so uh and they've really brought in a great influx of talent chance adams number 12 in the system 169 overall i want to jump down one spot here miguel andujar because he makes a lot of contact not a guy that's super sexy in terms of standout tools but i, I could see him working his way into this discussion at third base this season do you see him doing that? It's possible. I mean, to me, he's one of the guys where you he he needs like a second crack. It seems at at the mm-hmm. at these upper levels before he masters them. He's not a quick mover. Even I mean, he is only twenty two, uh, but I, I expect him to need you know the first half of the season just to kind of master Double A Trenton after uh, falling a little flat there after a promotion last season and then you, you'll see him go up to AAA he might struggle there and then you might see him have to head back to AAA in 2018 before finally uh, knocking that out and then then at that point you might look at him as a potential option there but he's he's still kind of a flyer uh, you can project some above average power just based on the physical frame he's, he's athletic he's loose but 
uh, hasn't really shown up in games just yet to that extent. So he's he's still a bit of a, a bit of a flyer. Now we got to move on to another team here, the Rays. But this system is deep. You've targeted thirty prospects in the system that you need to know. Anybody else you want to mention before we move on? Uh, no. Let's let's get on to the uh, let's get on to the Rays. Willie Adamas, number one in the system. You have a fifteen in the overall rank. I was flipping through the prospect handbook it's from Baseball America recently, and he seemed to be pretty high on every one of those lists. Uh, definitely an intriguing player. You don't have him ahead of guys like Ahmed Rosario or J.P. Crawford. He may be listed I do, there. Well, I do. I mean, oh, okay. I, I have him. Yeah, he won't be there on, on real life lists, even though I saw him pretty high on, on a lot of lists that I've been looking at. Pretty much a consensus, you know, top. 30-ish type of, of prospect. But what is it about him that, that gives him the edge over Ahmed Rosario and J.P. Crawford for fantasy purposes? It's it's the power. I mean, it, it really comes down to that. I mean, he's this dude's built. Like, he – I saw some pictures of him from this offseason. Uh, really impressive physique, uh, strong arms. I think he's going to grow into at least above-average power and – you know, maybe it only kind of manifests itself as kind of like a Addison Russell type of fantasy player where it's the batting average settles in at like 255, 260, something like that. But he walks plenty. Like he'll get on base uh, enough to justify hitting fairly high in a lineup. And I think he sticks it short at least for a while. Might end up having to move to third. He's a, he's a bit bigger than guys like Rosario or Crawford. Doesn't have quite the defense. That's why I don't see him being ranked ahead of those guys for real-life purposes. But for fantasy, I, I love Adamus. I think he's undervalued in some circles. Brent Honeywell, number two in the system, 44 overall. Another guy we got a, a glimpse at in Arizona and looked good. We haven't really seen a screwballer in the major leagues in how many years, like 50 years almost. But that's just one of five or six pitches he'll throw. Do you think he should? Because I know some people argue that he should. Do you think he should um, – cut down on the number of pitches and work to refine maybe three or four instead of using five or six. I think you kind of, it's care. It's a, it's a touchy subject developmentally to like tell a pitcher to, you know, stop throwing a certain pitch. Yeah. I'd, I'd let him think keep Jake Arietta. Yeah. I mean, right, Trevor Bowers, another yeah. name that kind of comes up. Um, you Darvish maybe, maybe throws too many pitches at times. Uh, when you have that many toys, like you, you want to show that you like, Hey, look at, I got this too. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I get it. Uh, I think you let him keep going. I mean, he's just dominating right now in, in the minors. If he runs into some trouble against triple a hitters or in the big leagues, then maybe you have a talk with him and say, Hey, let's, let's focus on these three or four pitches. But for now, I think he's fine. I, I love the body. I love the, the control. Uh, he's ahead of some guys, some pitchers that I think have a bit more upside in that kind of 50 to, to 70 range. But, man, I, I feel really good about him as a, at least a future number three. Jake Bowers, your 50th-ranked overall prospect this season. He was the uh, – he was drafted actually initially in 2013, correct? Uh, uh, then he traded to the Rays uh, in 2014. He is a player that, you know, I don't think people look at him and are going to be jumping up to to grab a guy like this. But 
because he's you know a little bit limited defensively. Stock a little volatile, as you point out here. But one of the best hit tools in the minors. What do the other tools look like? Uh, maybe 20 homer power. But he's another one of those guys that sort of falls into the bin of like, look, he's such a good hitter that I don't feel comfortable putting a cap on the power. Like he, he could just surprise everyone and, and end up being like a 25, 28 homer guy in his peak seasons. And just because of how good the, the bat to ball ability is, that wouldn't be all that surprising. Realistically, though, I think it's more of the type of power profile you'd expect to see from an outfielder, not a first baseman, which makes the defensive thing a little tricky. He's just such a good hitter, though, that I couldn't rank him any lower than 50. Jose De Leon, recent acquisition from Los Angeles, checking in fourth in the system, 92 overall. And we talked about him shortly after that trade. Anything new you want to add? With Okay. Jesus Sanchez, number five, 19-year-old. Going to be ranked 111, headed to Bowling Green, low A Bowling Green to begin the year. You say that he could be this year's Ronald Acuna. What do you mean by that? Well, like Acuna wasn't really on a ton of radars heading into last year. And then he goes to low A and all the tools play right away. He's one of the youngest players in the league. He's he's showcasing future plus power, future plus hit tool. Uh, and now he's a top, I have him as a top 20 prospect. Uh, might be a little lower in that other places, but definitely a top 50 guy for fantasy. And you could have gotten him dirt cheap this time last year. Sanchez, I kind of feel the same way. We haven't seen him against full season pitching yet, but there's plus power potential, plus hit tool potential, uh, above average runner right now. I mean, a lot of tools to like with this guy. Uh, could could struggle too. I mean, it's obviously not a sure thing that he – uh, becomes a, a high-end prospect, but this is a, a really solid bet if you're just taking a lottery ticket. Interesting. So he's, yeah, he's likely headed to Bowling Green. Josh Lowe also likely headed to Bowling Green. Lucius Fox. And between them and the Charleston, what division is that? Or what conference league is that? Do you know? Uh, because that's, I mean, my brother lives in Charleston. I got to get there. Because that uh, sounds like a stacked stacked league i think that i forget exactly but but dude the bowling green team i mean that's driving distance from us Mm -hmm. garrett whitley might be there too uh you might see a guy like adrian rondome assigned there at some point i mean that 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 team could be loaded for sure i mean so much talent so much unrefined talent really i mean Mm -hmm. it's gonna be great to just see those guys in uniform it's gonna be uh, yeah you know very absolutely. very physical very very filled out i guess you could say i mean the <laughs> lucius fox is is another guy that you could buy low right now came over as part of the the matt moore package sort of reminiscent of when they got willie adamas included in that just or in that uh, david price package from the tigers a couple of years ago where it's just, you know, you're taking a flyer on this this young shortstop, and then maybe we might look up in a couple of years and Fox might be uh, the absolute anchor of that deal. And, you know, he might end up moving to, to center field, but the, the speed is going to be plus for at least the next seven or eight years. Yeah, looking at the schedule here. Yeah, Charleston Lowe and Bowling Green, not in the same league, and that makes sense geographically, but... Yeah, a lot of a lot of talent in the low levels in this division. 
some big names too down the list. Some guys whose prospect stock has fallen a bit. Daniel Robertson, Taylor Guerrero. You still like them a fair amount, or not so much at all, really, for fantasy purposes. Robertson and Guerrero. Mm-hmm. No, because no. <laughs> I know Guerrero. You kind of liked last year. I mean, there wasn't much not to like yeah. uh, this time last year. I mean, he was maybe like the comeback minor league player of the year in 2015 just based on how much time he missed with injuries he was striking a ton of guys out wasn't allowing runs and then all of a sudden he heads back to double a and he's kind of a ground ball pitcher he stops missing bats and tell me just, there's no more sheer <laughs> no more sheer potential? sheer potential with him i mean you might be looking at a back-end starter For a lot of sheer i'd yeah. like to see him in the bullpen I mean, it's a it's still a pretty live arm. I could see him being pretty valuable back there. A uh, couple more guys just quickly before we hit the Blue Jays. Uh, Carlos Vargas came over in the, the Drew Smiley deal, just another guy kind of like Lucius Fox. Hasn't even played stateside yet, but was awesome in the Gulf Coast League last year. Not a bad flyer. And then Pedro Diaz, another guy that uh, hasn't played stateside, but he's, he's 18. He'll head to the Gulf Coast League this year. Uh, decent sleeper to keep your eye on yeah we're running out of time but definitely want to touch on some of these top blue jays prospects vlad guerrero leads the system 13 overall love this kid obviously ton of pedigree ton of raw power uh handled right-handed pitching well last year which is really big for a guy uh who's you know profiles as an everyday third baseman at the major league level in time only 18 years old though but what are we looking like looking at here with the hit tool is he going to be able to hit enough to let that power play yes uh very confident about the hit tool uh ale scout that that you and i both know uh put a future seven on the hit and the power for vlad guerrero jr and at that point you're talking about a top 20 fantasy pick kind of regardless of whether they play first base dh like it does it just doesn't matter at that point i mean you're talking about maybe a 310 315 hitter with 40 plus homer power i mean that's that's pretty crazy so that's why he's this high even though he hasn't played in a full season league uh rowdy telez kind of the opposite in terms of pedigree but similar in that he's just never stopped hitting and Mm -hmm. at this point it's really hard to pinpoint why he wouldn't continue to hit as he moves up uh could be their first baseman maybe late in the second half this year, but I think more reali- realistically, if you're just looking for production, he's a 2018 guy, but could be a top 15 first baseman before the end of the decade. Yeah, he's another big guy with a big strike zone. I mean, six foot four, 220, but does he have kind of those same swing and miss issues as a guy like Aaron Judge? No, he's that's what I love about Telez, and you don't see that very often with first base prospects like him where – it's really hard to see him failing because he doesn't make enough contact. Like maybe he, maybe the game power isn't what we're all expecting just because you, you look at him, he's so beefy. You expect it to be future 25, 30 Homer power. Maybe it just isn't, maybe it falls a little short of that. And that's why he, he is, is not what some dynasty owners think he is, but I think he's going to hit. I just don't see him not, not hitting at least 270 against big league pitching. Anthony Alford, number three. A lot of tools. I mean, really athletic guy. High risk, high reward. Richard Urena, number four. Sean Reed Foley, five. I want to ask you about seven in the system. Lourdes Gurriel, because I think a lot of people 
you know, deeper leagues looking at him maybe as a potential last bench spot stash or a fab target in season. What does he bring in with him? I mean, defensive versatility, but offensively, what what does he bring? I mean, we just don't know right now. He hasn't played in a league that would that would mirror anything we have stateside in in quite a while. So we're all just sort of guessing. And to me, the fact that he signed a seven-year, twenty-two million dollar deal, buying out his entire prime on the open market, sort of tells you all you need to know about what people in the industry are expecting from him i mean you, you don't get a guy that cheap if he's got a good chance of being an everyday player well james we appreciate the insight as always again check out his latest piece al east 89 prospects you need to know up on rotowire.com right now rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial we'll be back with you guys next week This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.